hope. It's the focus of this entire series because it's the one thing that every single one of us so desperately needs and we can only find in and through Jesus Christ. And we're here to talk about that, have a conversation about that. And I have to tell you, there's an interesting trend that's been developing in our world these days, and it's actually been developing for quite a while right now. And it's this idea that people, even people who claim to be of faith, are pulling away from the church these days. So many are seeing less value in the context of the church. So many are just leaving it out of their lives, making it a lesser priority, pulling away. And don't get me wrong, they're not necessarily pulling away from their desire for spirituality. They're not necessarily pulling away from their desire, certainly not their need of faith of some kind. But they're pulling away from the idea in their mind that they need the church as a means of experiencing their spirituality, their relationship with God, some growth in their faith. And this is really interesting because it's a phenomenon that wasn't as much a part of the church expression in America, at least, even, you know, 50 years ago. In the past, church was always seen at the center of any Christian pursuit of spirituality or faith. If you were going to pull away or leave out the church, you were deciding you were going to pull away and leave God out altogether because you, you couldn't have one without the other. It's how it's seen, but that has been progressing in very negative ways lately, today, at least for many. The church is no longer this priority, this value, this need at the core of building a genuine relationship with God. In fact, there's this expanding tendency to see faith as something that's supposed to be private. It's some, something for me, not for others. Something for me to practice in isolation and not to bother or trouble others with it. And what we have become part of thinking is that we can somehow build genuine faith in Jesus Christ alone. And it's crazy thinking. Now this trend is being driven by all kinds of negative ideas about the church. There's no way I could go through all of them, but I kind of highlighted a couple that I've heard, even thought myself along the way, even as a pastor at times, and yet we have to be careful of letting these thoughts, these experiences, shape what we know to be or think to be true. One of the negative ideas driving this new trend in the world is this very short sentence. I've heard it so much. I love Jesus, not church. I love Jesus. I don't love the church. I mean, this is prevalent in so many places in the world today. And, and the truth is, it's easy to love Jesus if he's out there and mystical and ethereal and has all of the values you feel like you're missing and the world is missing and you want in your life. And it's easy to not love the church because church is where you meet people up close and personal. And all of us know people can be a mess, right? And so it's so easy. I love Jesus, pie in the sky, but not the church. Another negative idea driving this trend is that people have this idea, I can live for Jesus, I can worship Jesus, I can serve Jesus without the church. And there is certainly a very partial truth to that, but it is false at its core when you understand what Jesus himself thinks. 
There's another negative idea that drives this trend. It's the idea that Jesus is relevant, Jesus is important, but church is irrelevant and church is unimportant. And I have to tell you, this is where I've confronted this head on. I mean, in my experiences with churches through my life, quite frankly, very often the way the church practices or works or has strategically been put together for me has been irrelevant and for me has been unimportant in my younger days with the churches that I was in with my family. Quite frankly, it made me conclude if that's Jesus, I wanted no part of Jesus. And so I was there. But here's what we need to understand. These ideas may sound intelligent, they may sound reasonable and rational, they might even fit the experiences you've had, but they're not true at the core. And so what we have to understand is that these concepts might be at work in places, churches, churches you've been in in the past, as they have mine, but that doesn't make these ideas true. It makes your experiences in certain places true, but it can't help you form your conclusions about the church, and that's what's happening in our culture. And I'm telling you, so many people are missing God, missing God's promises, missing God's fullness, missing, as we're talking about in this series, God's hope, because they've allowed wrong ideas about the church to be formed instead of taking what God has said to be true. Here's the reality. And I hope you'll get this sentence, and I mean it to the core of my being only because I know the Bible teaches this. You cannot fully love or genuinely follow the Jesus of the Bible and hold to these negative ideas about his church. You can't do it. You cannot love fully or genuinely and fully follow Jesus and hold to these discounting, diminishing, negative ideas about the church because they're contrary to God's truth. Now, the truth is many people have decided to manufacture and create Jesus in their own image or in the image that they want. And so they make up their own Jesus, a Jesus that fits all the things they see as positive and removes all the things they see as negative. Oh, you can worship and serve and follow that made-up Jesus of your own creation or culture's creation and not love the church, but you cannot genuinely love and follow the true biblical Jesus, the one who is the only one who can give you hope and fullness and love and forgiveness and redemption and healing and a relationship with God and power, all the things we're really looking for. And why would you want to worship a Jesus that doesn't exist when you can have and worship the Jesus that does exist? But to worship that Jesus, you have to love what he loves. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to follow him to where he goes. And so you need to know that according to God's word, our faith can't be, cannot be fully experienced alone or in private. It can't be done in the singular. It demands the plural. And so I could go through the whole Bible in this, but let me just give you a couple of passages, and then I'll try and give you this truth in a way that might challenge you to open yourself again up to the hope that's available for you through what God's given. But look at Romans chapter 12. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from this passage, but you need to know the context is that what God is doing is he's saying, you want to know how important the church is to my family, spiritually, you want to know how important truth the church is to experiencing the fullness of me, God the Father, then you have to understand it through the metaphor of the physical body. And so he's comparing the church, his body, to a physical body. And look what it says in verses 4 and 5 of Romans 12. For just as each of us has one body, we each have one physical body body. And each of our physical bodies has many members, fingers, toes, kneecaps, muscles, organs, just as each of us has one physical body with many members, and these members do not have the same function. An eyeball has a different function than an ear. A finger has a different function than a toe. And so one body, all these different members made for different things to bring it to completion. 
And it says, so in Christ, we though many individual members form one body, his church, and each member belongs to all the others. Now let's pull this thing apart just a little bit. I'm sorry, we just got through Halloween, so I've been thinking a little bit about horror movies lately. And you need to know, I'm not thinking about horror movies because I like horror movies. I despise horror movies. I can't stand horror movies. Hate them. Hate what they do in me, around me. Hate the visuals. What makes up a horror movie? It's a bunch of bodies that are separated from their individual members, generally, in horror flicks, right? You got fingers flying over here and arms flying over here and legs cut off over here. You've seen the commercial where they hide behind the chainsaws in the barn because that's what you do in horror movies, right? Thank you, Geico, for that visual. So what happens to a body that's dismembered, you know? It becomes a whore. It's worthless, it's ugly. And I love Jesus, so I don't like horror movies. I need you to know, my wife does love horror movies, so I'm quite convinced she doesn't love Jesus. That's just kind of the way I view this, but that's not preaching now, I'm just saying, you know. But that's what you have, it's a horror. What do you have when you have a bunch of individual Christians who have pulled away from the church, the body? You have a horror, spiritually. They can't function spiritually. They can't experience life spiritually. They can't walk. They can't talk. They can't move. They can't see. They can't feel. They can't bring benefit. And that's exactly what happens when you decide, I'm going to love Jesus but not his church, when you pull away. And that's where so many people are. It's killing hope. It's killing faith. It's killing us. Hebrews chapter 10 is just another example of this in Scripture. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The truth is, love and good deeds don't come naturally for us. Love and good deeds take an energy that's contrary to our natural energy. When we're filled with God's Spirit, they come more naturally. But being filled with God's Spirit isn't natural, and so we need to be encouraged. I've been a pastor here for 32 years, been a Christian for like four and a half decades, and I'm going to tell you right now, there's no way I stay on top of love and good works without other people encouraging me, spurring me on, moving me forward. I could never do it alone. And the only way that ever happens is if, if someone thinks of someone other than themselves. He says... We as believers have to think of someone other than myself. We have to think of others and how we might spur them on. Well, those who pull away from church, who are they thinking of? Themselves. And then it says, and here's how you can keep spurring one another on to love good deeds. By not giving up meeting together, by not giving up gathering together, by not becoming a dismembered part of the body of the church, but by being a committed part of it, as some are in the habit of doing. Back then, people were pulling away from the church, just like they are today. Don't do it, God says, but encourage one another. How? By getting together. And do that all the more as you see the day approaching. This is what God says. God says... Without the church, an individual believer cannot experience fullness. It's like a finger without a body. God says that there's no way you can continue to be motivated to love and good works unless you're continuing to get together and encouraging or you're encouraging others by getting together. And we need to be doing this as an essential part of our life. And yet we live in a world where it's like, yeah, you know. Got Little League. Eh, there's a good game on. Eh, don't feel like it. Eh, we sprung forward and I can't. We fell backward and eh. Everything gets in our way. I think fire gives a beautiful picture of this, actually. What happens when you separate the burning pieces of wood and embers in a fire 
the fire immediately begins to lose en energy. And unless you put them close together again, it eventually goes out. Well, the same is true with believers who isolate from each other and try and go it alone. You lose the fire. You lose the light. You lose the hope. And it's where so many people are. Many people try and solve their problems by pulling away from the church, but all they do is create bigger problems. And I know you're in church right now. Some of you are watching online right now. I get it. But many of you are going, why are you telling us? We're here. Because the world is going to continually bombard you with this. And because you need to have answers, you need to stand strong, and you need to get it yourself. Here's the simple reality, and I'm going to say it in a sentence. God's people need each other. We need each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You need everybody in your row. I mean, we need each other. And and just so you know, I mean, some of you who are maybe newer here or guests, you might be going, my gosh, this sounds a little bit like church marketing to me. Trying to get more butts in your seats here at Northridge, huh? No, that's not it. I don't want something from you. That's not why I'm doing this. Do you know what I get? Well, you just, you know, we've got like thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this church community. Do you know what I get? When I get more butts in the seats, I get more headaches, I get more problems, I get more questions, I get more brokenness, I get more messes, I get more complaints, I get more emails like I need more of those. It's not for me I want to share this stuff. It's got nothing to do with me. Do you think I get a commission on every new person here? Here's 10 bucks, there's a new person here. No, that doesn't happen. I'd say keep your 10 bucks, get rid of the people. That's kind of how I'd do it. It's not for me. It's for you. You need hope. You need love. You need God's fullness. You need what only God can give you. And you need to know that he fulfills that through the gathering of his people. God's people need each other. And I'll just give you one example. When was the last time you felt on fire for God. Well, when was the last time you felt on fire in your relationship with Jesus? You know, on fire. Well, if it's been a while or never, maybe it has something to do with your view of the church. In fact, I can tell you it has everything to do with your view of the church. Could it be that you haven't been making church important enough in your life, a high enough priority? As I look around, it seems too many are making church a convenience instead of a compulsion. And there's a big difference between the two. All right, let me give you an example, and you'll understand that. You know where we live here. Rain and snow and sleet and traffic won't keep people away from the big house. Go blue, by the way. I mean, just a thought. I mean, nothing keeps them away from God. It doesn't matter what the weather, what the traffic, what the problems, what the complexity, what the cost. It doesn't matter. They keep getting all those seats filled plus. Have you ever been there? One butt cheek is on the next person's butt cheek. I mean, they pack them in there. And if you don't like me saying butt cheek, remember, physical body, many parts, that's one of them. I'm just staying biblical. Roxanne would say, what are you pointing at? There's nothing there. That's true, too. <laughs> Roxanne's my wife, by the way, the only one I let talk about my <clears throat> butt. But that's, uh... I'm feeling good today. <laughs> feeling really good, actually. But anyway, <laughs> I am digressing just a little, so let me get back. Rain and snow and sleet, it doesn't matter. Nothing will keep people from the big house, but it doesn't work that way with God's house. 
Rain keeps people away from God's house. Snow keeps people away from God's house. Good weather keeps people away from God's house. Bad weather keeps people away from God's house. I've got the hiccups pe keeps people away from God's house. Got a hair out of place keeps people away from God's house. Why? Because, see, it reveals the level of importance it has. Some of you would never let your kids miss a day of school, but church doesn't mean much. Some of you want your kids to experience every single thing they can in life, but if they miss church for it, no big deal. And I'm telling you right now, you're robbing your kids of the one thing that can provide hope. I love that song that we sang earlier. It's in the church where we and they can experience the fullness of what God wants for us. It's vital. Of course, there are all kinds of reasons that people give for neglecting or rejecting or pulling away or leaving church out. And I thought I'd just give you two big ones, and I think it'll probably be the umbrella for any area you deal with, and then I'll give you what God says about it, okay? Here's one of the negative reasons people give for neglecting or rejecting the church. The church is man-made. That's what they say. The church is man-made. I just need you to know right up front, wrong. The church is God-made, God-given to the world. The church is God's. And uh, yeah, you can clap if you want. That doesn't sound like the wave at the big house, but I'll take it. <laughs> Matthew 16, 18. This is Jesus. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock. What's the rock? A lot of people think it's Peter himself, but that's not. Peter's the stone. Peter means stone, not rock. It's a different word. Jesus just asked the question, who do you say that I am? And he said, Peter did. You're the son of the living God. You're the fulfillment of the promise of Messiah and all of God's thing. You're the one. And Jesus says, you're right. You're Peter. God had to reveal that to you. But on this rock, on the fact that I am the son of God, the Messiah promised and given, the redeemer of the world, on this rock, I will build what? Yeah. And it doesn't even say that church. I will build. Whose church is it? Jesus. On this rock I will build my church. Whose building? Jesus. Whose church? His. What's he focused on? The church. Does he say, on this rock I'm going to build each of you as individuals into really cool... No! He's not going to work on a finger. He's going to work on a body. And he says, and when I build my church, God-made, God-given, God-valued, the gates of hell will not overcome it. Where are we going to find protection from hell and darkness? His church, gathered together in Jesus' name. Alone, hell overcomes us. Together, we overcome hell. What's, <clears throat> what's sad is hell's overcoming most of us. We need a greater commitment to the body, his church. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Remember what I'm saying. Church is not man-made. It's God-made. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, loved the church, and gave himself up for her. So the Bible tells us that he loves the church. So how can I say, I love Jesus not the church, if I'm following him. I can't. The only way I can say that is if I've made up my own Jesus, created my own Jesus, manufactured my own Jesus, created the illusion of a different Jesus. But what Jesus said is, I love the church so much that I'm going to die for it. It's God-made and God-loved. And just so you know, the entire New Testament of the, of the Bible basically has the church as the entire focus. Why? Because it's God-made. This should help all of you to wrestle with this thing. Yes, P 
people are in it. And people can be a handful. But it's God made. Don't buy the devil's lie about the church. Another major reason people give for neglecting or rejecting church, ready for this one? You're going to recognize it. You might even agree with it. The church today is messed up. And I have to tell you, before you think I don't agree with that, I agree with that 100%. The church today is messed up. The church today, it's messed up. Not those churches out there. This one too. Look at I'm the pastor of this church. I know what a mess I am. Ho! The church today is messed up. The thing I don't agree with this on is how they view it. And I have the emphasis in there. The church today is messed up. As if there's something different. And here's what people say. I used to love the church. I don't anymore because the church today is messed up. It's different than it was in the early days. It's different than it was in the Bible days. It used to be great, and it's not anymore. Those who believe that don't read the Bible. I'm going to tell you right now. It's true the church today is messed up. The church yesterday was messed up. The church in the 1950s was messed up. The church in the 1900s was messed up. The church in the 1500s was really messed up. The church in the 1200s, the church in... Do you realize the day after Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the church was messed up. Just was. And the Bible's filled with this. Look at, look at what God says about his church in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul loved the church because Jesus loved the church. He was committed to the church because Jesus was committed to the church. He gave his life to building the church because Jesus is building the church. That's what Paul did. And yet, look at what he said about the church. One of his churches, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit of God, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it yet. You thought you were, you said you were, you sung about being ready, but you weren't. Indeed, you're still not ready. And then he says, you, the church, are still worldly. And how did he know? Well, let's talk about the characteristics. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Here's what he's saying. Y'all are jealous of each other. You don't care about each other, you care about yourselves. You're trying to take from others to build yourself up, and if someone else gets more than you, you're jealous of them. What's that like? Jesus or the world? The world. And then he says, and not only that, you're quarreling, you're in conflict, you're in tension with one another. Why? Because you're going to try and pull each other down instead of lifting each other up, because you're just like the world. And he says, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? That, that means, aren't you acting like your people have never experienced the reality of Jesus in your life in the first place? And who was he talking to? The University of Michigan? No, Michigan State. No, he wasn't. It's not what he was talking to. He was talking to his church. You're messed up. You're acting like you've never met me or known me. And there are people today pulling away from the church, leaving the church in droves. And I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about in general. Why? Because the church is messed up today. The church has always been messed up. And what did God do? He loved the church. He built the church. He showed up in the church. He worked in the church. He gave to the church. He provided for the church. So think about this. The church is messed up, always has been. And as messed up as it was back then, when God spoke, who did he speak to? The church. He showed up in the Revelation, and who did he speak to? The seven churches? Were those seven churches like the most worthy? No, read! They were messed up. As messed up as the church was when God did something, who did he do it through? The church. As messed up as the church was when God, when God gave gifts, who did he give the gifts through? The church, when as messed up as it was, what did Jesus claim his focus was on? Building his church. What did Jesus die for as messed up as it was? He died for his church. So this idea that man made it, wrong. This idea that it's so messed up you should get away from it, wrong. So let me ask you two clarifying questions. Real simple. I can do this quickly. Two clarifying questions. Helped me. Hopefully it'll help you. First clarifying question. 
Is the church perfect? Okay, now look, you had an extra hour last night. I mean, seriously? Is the church perfect? No. Is the church essential? Yes. I know it's left out of media. I know government can shut it down when it leaves a bunch of other things open. But I'm going to tell you right now, church isn't perfect, but the church is essential, vitally so. And you don't have to be perfect to be part of it. In fact, the church, everyone's welcome. By the way, two things you need to know. Because everyone's welcome at the church, that means since everyone has flaws, all flaws welcome. What happens when all flaws are welcome? It will be messed up. Second thing I want you to know about this, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome to his church. But that doesn't change God's perfect truth. So in his church, where his truth is without compromise shared, people with flaws aren't going to be told their flaws are good. They're going to be told the truth about how they need to be forgiven by God's grace and Jesus' death and resurrection about those things. And so it's going to happen. If you're looking for a place where you're welcome. It's the church of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for a place that will tell you everything you do and everything you think and every choice you make is good to affirm you for even bad behavior, that's not the church of Jesus Christ. If you can find a church like that, that's not the church of Jesus Christ because the church of Jesus Christ is about truth and love. so weird. People looking for a place where they can go with their broken lives to be told that all they're doing to become broken is good. Why do you want that kind of a place? Most people complain about parents that never help them to learn to live right. Shouldn't we have a church representing God the Father where we get to learn to live right no matter who we are and how long we've lived? That's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be. All right, just so you know, that's the introduction of the conversation. Now we turn to the talk. All right, it, kind of. Here's the truth. God works in special ways when his people gather together. Why is it important to gather together? Why can't we experience the fullness of God without other believers in the end? Because God works in special ways when his people gather together. The authenticity and power of faith is only fully discovered and experienced together with other believers because what good is it for a finger to be on a table without a knuckle? What good is it for a finger to not have a hand? What good is it for a hand not to have a wrist and an arm? What good is it for an arm not to have a shoulder? For fully experiencing what God has for us demands being together with all the members of his body gathered. The hope of Jesus is fully experienced in the plural, not the singular, in community, not in private. And I'll just show you scripturally. In Acts chapter 2, we have God pouring out his spirit, showing up in a special way to forever change the world. It was the birthday of the church, the Pentecost it's called. And look at how it happened. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Couldn't God have poured his spirit? Did God not know where everybody lived? Did not know, God, God could have found them in any closet, in any private place, in any place of isolation. But that's not how it works. When they were all together in one place, that's when God showed up in a special way. You looking for God to show up in special ways in your life? You looking to experience the special outpouring, the special fullness, the special healing of God in your life? I'm telling you, church should be at the core of your life. 
Jesus said it in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So many people misunderstand that. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus was there if I'm alone at home. He is. But when two or three gather, when his people come together, they experience the special, unique presence of God in a way they never will alone. I have a friend, and he, um, he fell in love with our online church because, uh, you know, we had the pandemic. We didn't have a clue what COVID was going to be. And so before government said anything, we decided let's protect our people. Let's shut down a little while. And government got involved, and you know all that stuff. And then we realized, okay, we know what it is. The church is essential. We should start getting together. And we worked really, really hard. And finally, in spite of all the powers that be, decided to start coming together. But we kept doing online services, online services. We're still doing online church, and we'll continue to do online church. It's a great opportunity to reach people far away. But this friend of mine loved it. And he did online church, even though we opened, you know, months after we had put the pause on. Uh, he didn't come for over a year. And he just watched online. And there are a lot of you who watch online. I'm so glad you watch online. I'm so glad we can connect this way. Not hurting. I'm not judging. I'm not rebuking. I'm just saying something different about it. And he came back about a year and a couple months after we uh, had opened. And... He came to me, and he was just gleaming, and he said, I forgot how God shows up so differently when we gather together. It's life-changing. There's power in it. And as much as I love that we can gather online, I just want, I want to encourage you, if you can be in person, you should. And I want to encourage any of you who are in different states and different countries who watch us, yeah, you can watch us, but you should find a local community of believers where you can gather and worship and grow together because that's where you'll experience the fullness of God's presence. I am telling you, there is power when we gather together. There is something special about it. When he shows up, lives change. When he shows up, the world can change because it's a gathering of hope. And it doesn't happen when people as individuals pursue faith in private. It happens when God's people come together in public. And I need to say this next couple of sentences, and I hope that you'll really get the power that I intend at least through them. Churches have never been perfect, but when they have gathered together, that's when the perfect one has shown up in big ways. And there's something about being where the perfect one is showing up and displaying himself through his people. I don't know about you, but I want some, I want some of that. But it takes being together to get it. If I was alive back when Pentecost took place, I wouldn't have wanted to miss it. It was a world-changing event. Would you have wanted to miss it? God showing up like that? Are you kidding? And I'm going to tell you this as well. If I was local, or far away maybe, I wouldn't have wanted to watch it on video. Wow, those people are experiencing the outpouring of God. That's not what I want. I want to experience the outpouring of God, don't you? I want to experience the outpouring of God. That takes us getting together and experiencing God pouring himself out in special ways. Let's commit to what he loves, the church. And here's what I love. They didn't get together out of duty back then. They got together because they couldn't get enough of God and they experienced him in unique ways together. That's how we should be. That's how we should be. The world persecuted the early believers. Peter, the early apostle of Jesus, was thrown in prison, threatened to be killed, and, and his church gathered. God's people were gathering at the home of John Mark's mother regularly. It was a house church. They didn't have buildings yet. And they gathered to pray that God would deliver Peter, and God did. Miraculously, Peter was released from prison. And guess where the first place... Peter went after he got released from prison to his church. 
to where God's people were gathered. Look at how it says it in Acts chapter 12, verses 5 and 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. When this had dawned on him that he wasn't dreaming, that it really was a miracle, God had freed him from prison, he immediately went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. He went to his church family. You see, when this amazing thing happened to Peter, the first place he thought of going, the very first people he wanted to tell was the gathering of believers, his church family. Here's the question for us. Are you ready? What's our first place? What's our first place? Who are the people we want to tell first? Sadly, for far too many... Even those who claim to love and follow Jesus, church isn't the first place. To, uh, to be honest, it's not even close to first place for most people. And yet, it was Jesus' first place. Jesus made clear the church was the place he was building, he was present in, and he was working through. So, if we're following him, wouldn't that be where we'd be found? And I'm not talking about every minute of every day. When I was growing up, oh my gosh, Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday night, other meetings on Sunday night, meetings during the week, Wednesday night. When I first became a pastor, oh my gosh, I had to teach like 80, 50, 85 times 50 times a week. I don't know. Took the wrong medicine this morning. But anyway, you get the idea. I, it was forever together. And I actually felt people need time to love their kids. People need time to be with their parents. People need time for other aspects of life. People deny that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about being committed to the gathering of God's people on a regular and consistent basis so you can experience the power of God in your life. Is the church your first place? Here's the application. If we want to experience the fullness of God at work in our lives, then we must be committed to gathering together. Because church is where God has chosen to show up and work in special ways. Church is the gathering of hope. So if you're looking for hope, don't pull away from church pull closer. If you're missing the fire, you're missing light, you're missing love, make gathering together a priority. That's where God shows up. And just so you know, I'm going to read a verse, we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you a concluding illustration, and we're done. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Couldn't get enough of it. When they left church, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They couldn't get enough of each other. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and here's the ultimate con, uh, result. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The light of their lives changed the world. The hope in their lives spread to the world because they gathered. It's not a lesser important thing. It's a greater important thing. Is it your first place? Now, I'm going to pray. Before I do, I want to tell you, all of you who are followers of Jesus already online or here, I want to encourage you to talk to God just for a minute and reflect on your attitude. Does your life show that you love Jesus but not his church? Does your life show that you allow the messed up parts of the church to cause you to pull away and leave it out? Or are you showing that you think he's relevant, but maybe the church isn't relevant to you? Are you living life in the wrong way? Why don't you talk to him about that and get that straightened out? And while you do that, some of you have never opened your life to Jesus in the first place, and so I'm going to pray with you. So would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a minute? And while we bow, if you're here and you're saying, I've never known Jesus, why don't you pray with me now? Take my words in this prayer and make them yours. Just in your heart. It doesn't have to be out loud or dramatic. Just, Jesus, I need you and your hope. And so I'm opening up my life to you, acknowledging that I've sinned against you, I'm guilty, but putting my faith in your death on the cross to forgive me and your resurrection to make me new. 
I'm asking you to save me, change me, fill me with hope, and help me to become a part, a faithful part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you prayed with me, the screens, you can see it. You'd send us a text with the name of our church. You can see the number there. You send us that text, we'll send you a link. Fill out that link, get it back to us. And what we'll do is we'll send you a beautiful journal of, the, of a book of the Bible and some ideas about next steps you can take. We would love to get that to you, but we need to know you want it, okay? And here's going to be the conclusion now. What we want to do is we want to take this from the mental and the emotional to the physical. And so our team developed an idea, came up with an idea that I think is really brilliant, and so we're doing it. Each of you were given a little link of a chain when you came in. A little link. I don't know what colors yours are, and some of you probably the whole service saying, I wanted orange and I got green. I don't care. Doesn't matter. It's not an important point. They're individual chain links. In the end, it has the ability to picture the change and the beauty and the strength that results when God's people all link together in His name. But alone, it's not much. In fact, here's what we're going to find. It's happened in every service. We're going to find a bunch of these on the floor when you leave, and we'll have to clean them up. Worthless little pieces of plastic. But if you take that piece of plastic into the lobby of our church here in Plymouth, we have a special board that's been made up where these individual links can be connected by each of you individually to other links that have been connected, and it's changed the whole fabric of what that board looks like. We're not going to have to sweep those up and throw those away. They're different. But it's just a metaphor. Your life becomes better when you're linked to God's people, but you'll never be linked to God's people until you make the choice to link yourself. And so I want to encourage you, and it won't be convenient for you. There'll be lines, there'll be traffic. I want to encourage you to take your link, go to that place. While you're standing in line with all those people saying, remind yourself, these people make me better. I get to be part of this with these people. I get to be part of something bigger than myself. And then get to that board and link your thing there. And here's the picture. If you're going to experience the hope of Jesus Christ, yes, you have to link your life to Jesus but then you have to link your life to his people, and it takes a choice. When you link this piece of plastic to the chain in our lobby, let it be saying, God, I'm committing my life to be a part of the gathering of hope so that we can be what you've called us to be, the light of the world. And I'm going to leave you with this thought. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If you link yourself to God's people, you won't regret it, because Jesus promises that he will build you together with others so that hell and darkness and hatred and evil will no longer prevail against you. On the contrary, together in his hope gathered will prevail against it. Hope's available. Let's claim it. Thanks for being here, everybody. We'll see you next time.